I'm Barbara DeMarco Barrett, and this is Writers on Writing. My guest today is novelist Julie Clark. Julie is the New York Times bestselling author of The Last Flight. It has earned starred reviews from Kirkus, Publishers Weekly, and Library Journal. It's also named an Indie Next Pick, a Library Reads Pick, and Best Book of 2020 by Amazon Editors and Apple Books. Her debut, The Ones We Choose, was published in 2018 and was optioned for television by Lionsgate. Her new novel is The Lies I Tell. On the show, she talks about female con artists and what fascinates her about them, how she keeps track of all the moving parts of a novel, revising, and more. But before we bring her on, if you like what you hear and you take away tips from the authors we've been bringing to you for the last 24 years, please consider visiting patreon.com backwards slash writers on writing and contributing whatever you can. $5 a month, the cost of a coffee will help us out and make it possible for us to continue bringing great authors and tips to you. And as a supporter, there are perks, writing prompts, tips, and many extras. Now for our show featuring author Julie Clark. Talk about what inspired the lies I tell. I was waiting for my youngest son to finish with his piano lesson. I was sitting in the lobby of this apartment building and I was listening to a podcast called Who the Hell is Hamish? And it's about an Australian guy who basically charms and cons women out of large sums of money. He convinces them that, you know, what he's doing, the investments that he's doing are like can't lose investments. And he convinces them to give him like big sums of money. And then, of course, he takes off with it. And, you know, he's a con artist. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, I can understand why women would fall for him. Like he's very charming and he's very handsome and he's making promises, you know, he preys on vulnerable people and all of that. And then I started thinking like, are there any female con artists out there? And if so, I would think they might be better at it than men. You know, I think women have a tendency to be uh, I don't want to say more trustworthy. I don't think that's the right word, but you know, people don't, people don't see a lot of nefarious intent behind what women say and do. Um, you know, I always used to tell my kids, like, if you ever get lost, if you ever don't know what to do, like find the mom, right. Find the mom and she'll help you. And I think women have sort of this, this, uh, reputation of sort of being believable, you know, and, and also, which my main character Meg leans into a lot, um, they're underestimated by powerful men, especially egotistical, arrogant, powerful men underestimate women a lot. And my main character Meg counts on that. So that's sort of how it all sort of came about. Mm. And I guess in, in law enforcement too, women are not seen as being as dangerous, right? Or they yeah. get lighter, lighter sentences or it's interesting. Well, yeah, I mean, statistically, I don't think women commit as many crimes as men, but um, but they certainly, I think, can play a part better than a man. Like they're just more likely to be 
believed. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. um, alternating points of view. So there's Meg and Kat. And did you know from the start you wanted to tell the story from both of their points of view? Uh, yeah, I did. I kind of felt like you couldn't really understand or see the whole picture. The reader wouldn't be able to know what I needed them to know if I was only going from Meg's point of view or Kat's point of view. Um, but I managed to, I, I promised myself after the last flight that I wasn't going to do another dual POV, but then of course that's what ended up happening. So, you know, you just, you do the best you can. You make, you make grand plans as a writer and then, and then throw them all out on revision. So. Sure. I read the last flight as well. After I read the lies I tell, I had to oh. read something else by you. Yeah. And um, the alternating points of view, as you say, and also I was thinking about how uh, the last, last flight took place in New York and then mostly Berkeley. Mm -hmm. And the lies I tell is mostly in LA. As I, yeah. I mean, it's been a few weeks since I read it, but yeah. it's still- And a little bit in Reading, Pennsylvania. And Reading, right. And so I was curious because you live in LA mm -hmm. and how is, how is it to write about a place where you live as opposed to a distant place? I mean, Berkeley isn't that distant, Reading is, but- yeah. It's a lot easier. I mean, I wrote about Berkeley in The Last Flight because I know it so well. I lived there for many, many years and I made sure to set the book in the places that I was familiar with. Um, and I still had to go back and walk the streets and, and go back to the university again and, and make sure that everything that I remembered from 1998 was mostly still there. And it was. Um, and same thing with the lies I tell, you know, when I live in Los Angeles and I write about Los Angeles, it's easy for me to be current with what it looks like, what it feels like, what the people are like here. And so writing about Reading, Pennsylvania was a lot harder. I had to talk to a lot of people. It was the middle of the pandemic. So I wasn't going to go to Reading, Pennsylvania. Um, and I really had to talk to a lot of people about, you know, what, what that place is like to spend a lot of time on Zillow you know, looking at houses in Reading to kind of get a feel for what, what real estate is like there. Um, talk to people who go there on business, look at a lot of pictures, read a lot of, you know, things online about, you know, events there. And, you know, Google Images is really helpful. <laughs> well, how important is it that you get the facts? I mean, it sounds like it is important for you to get the facts right. But I mean, I've talked to writers who say it's fiction, you know, do whatever you want to do. And I always appreciate novels that do get the facts right. Um, it bothers me when people write about my hometown and they don't get it right. Like, you know, it does bother me. I, I know though that unless you live there or from there, are there every day, um, it's easy not to get the facts right. There are little things that you're just not going to get. So I'm forgiving of those, but big macro mistakes I find to be frustrating. So I do try to get the facts right as much as I can. I'm sure I'll get, I'm sure I'll get messages from readers about things that I didn't get right about Reading or even LA. Um, you know, it's a big place and sure. try not to go east of the 405 if I can help it. Mm-hmm. Um... So then I guess I wanted to talk as well about, since this is your third novel. Yes. Why is I tell? How has your process changed from the first novel? You know, every book I'm finding is different. I sort of thought that, you know, once I figured out how to write a book, um, 
I'd sort of just do the same thing every time. And it's different every time. Um, the way the ideas come about is different. Uh, the way that I approach writing the book. So with The Lies I Tell, I actually wrote a full synopsis for my publisher before I ever wrote a word and they bought it off that synopsis. And I, and I was pretty detailed in the structure of it. I knew that it would start in the present then it would go back in the past with Meg. Then it would come back to the present. Then we'd be with Meg in Pennsylvania and then back in the present again. And I knew that I would focus on three big cons for Meg. Um, the original one, the very first one she ever pulls, um, a Reading, Pennsylvania one, and then the current one in Los Angeles. And so writing that was pretty easy. I think the drafting went pretty quickly. I wouldn't say the writing went easily, but, but the drafting went fast. And then I was able to spend a lot of time on revision. Whereas with The Last Flight, it took me a long time to get that book nailed down. You know, it's just different every time. So I've kind of stopped expecting that I would at some point know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I, I don't ever. How long was the synopsis that you wrote for the lies I tell? Maybe like five or six pages. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm. It sounds painful. <laughs> well, I had shopped a different idea to them and sent them 50 pages. And my editor was like, mm, this doesn't really feel like a thriller to me. And I had been struggling with it as well. And so at that point, I had been thinking about this con artist book for a while and kind of talking about it with some of my writer friends. And so over a weekend, I just, just sat down and wrote out a book proposal, basically, and sent it off to my agent and said, I think this might be my third book. And she said, I think you might be right. I'm going to forward it on to Shana, who's my editor. And she did. Shana was like, that's the one. So then we got to work. Nice. So yeah. how did you land in the domestic thriller genre? I landed there by accident. I mean, my first book is an upmarket women's fiction. And, um, and, and I think all of my books have that element of emotional arc and emotional development and emotional growth. It's not just plot, plot, plot. It's definitely very character driven. All of my books are. Um, and so I had this idea for The Last Flight and, and I pitched it to my agent. And she said, oh, yeah, 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 write that. And so I wrote it. And when I sent it off to her, she said, this is a thriller. And I said, it is. And she said, yeah. And so, you know, then we had to kind of, I had to revise it with, with that genre in mind. I mean, it wasn't originally written as a thriller. It was written as more of an upmarket women's fiction. And so then I had to learn how to write a thriller, which took a little time. So how did you, I mean, you do that through reading and because your plot, the plot of The Lies I Tell and um, The Last Flight, it, it, both books seem so carefully plotted and yet um, the twists, I mean, it was very unexpected. You know, some, some novels, thrillers, any novel actually, you can see the ending coming. Mm -hmm. And with these two, I could not find it. I mean, I yeah. couldn't predict, which I loved um, about, about the books. Yeah. Um, how did I learn how to write a thriller? I asked a lot of thriller friends, like, how do you write a thriller? And most of them said, I don't know. You know, I read, <laughs> I read a lot of thriller books. Um, I spent a lot of time really focusing on beats of a story and twists and trying to make sure that my books kind of had a particular pacing where, you know, things, you know, thriller books have not a formula because I definitely 
definitely don't think they have a formula, but they definitely have certain things that you expect. Um, you know, you have that inciting that that first twist that sort of launches your character off into whatever adventure that they're going to be going on. You know, for instance, for the last flight, it's you know, um, it's you know Claire and Eva meeting at the airport, you know, and trading plane tickets. And, you know, for the lies I tell, I'd say that it's probably, you know, Meg returning to town and Kat realizing like she's back. Now I can, now I can get what my, what is mine, you know? Um, and then there has to be something at the middle. That's a big twist in the middle. And there needs to be a big twist at the end. Like those are the big, big ones that you want to make sure you have those down pretty quickly. And then there can be other smaller ones along the way, but those are the big ones that for me, I kind of have to know about. Um, really before I sit down and start writing in earnest, because I have to have, they're, they're sort of like landmarks for me. If I, I'm writing toward the next one, like a rest stop, right? Like if I could just get to that twist and then I can figure out what, how I'm going to get to the next one after that. Um, then I kind of make my way through the book that way. I've been, I've been a bit obsessed with midpoints lately, maybe mm. because in my own work, I'm, you know, trying to figure things out. And so with Eliza Town, with The Last Flight, the midpoint was right where we're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And I wondered if that was um, a matter of experience storytelling, that you instinctively know where that is, what has to happen right in the middle of the book. Or is that, you know, as, as you were just talking about, you know, having it all kind of lay out right, is that something that you, um, you, you knew where it had to happen and what had to happen there and how the story had to turn on the midpoint. I think I know how the story has to turn on the midpoint, um, but but it doesn't land where it's supposed to for a long time. Mm -hmm. It either lands way too soon. And I'm like, no, 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 that's my midpoint. I need to have, you know, 20,000 more words before I get to that part, you know, or it lands way too late. And so that's that's where the revision comes in and you're trying to either figure out what you need to add to push your midpoint out, maybe another twist, maybe another character, maybe another problem, maybe a subplot, or you're trimming way, way back to bring your midpoint forward so that it's where you need it to be. But you have to know what your midpoint is in order to make sure you can place it. How do you keep track? There's so many moving parts to a novel. Um, do you have an Excel spreadsheet that you have everything down? Do you have three by five cards? Do you have newsprint on your wall. And I've tried all of those things, but they don't work for me. I don't know. Um, I might have like an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. And I try to keep it to one piece of paper because if it's more than one piece of paper, then I tend it's too much. I can't look at it, you know? So if I cram it all into one piece of paper, I sometimes will do like a chapter outline once I sort of have an idea you know, and I'll put in my big twists, kind of where I think they should fall. And then I might put in a few, a few other ideas of things that might happen before or after. Um, but once for me, the usefulness of that document is in the creation of it. I generally don't look at it again. Mm. Interesting. How long was the lies I tell? How many words was it? Probably like 85,000. Not entirely sure, but something like that. Somewhere in the 80,000s. It might have been, been a little bit less than the last flight, but not by a lot. And I think the last flight was like 88,000. Hmm. Yeah. It's a good size. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of, you know, I think 
I think for books in my genre and what I'm trying to do, I would say anything between 80,000 and 95 at the top. I don't think any, I think anything longer than 95 and you're going to, you're going to run into problems. Mm. It's too long. Um, but you also teach, is that correct? Mm-hmm. So, and you have kids and you have a, a dog mm-hmm. and you have sort of a demanding life. So when are you writing? Early, early, early in the morning when I can guarantee that nobody needs anything. So my alarm goes off Monday through Friday at 3.45. And I write from 3.45 to about six. And then I'm off for the day to do everything else. Yeah. So you must know where you're going to pick up the next day. Yeah, I will generally... Yeah, I will generally like make a note to myself about what I want to do tomorrow because 345 is very, very early. And so often I'm half asleep when I sit down at my desk or pick up my notebook or open my computer. And so it helps to have a note from the day before, like, oh yeah, 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 today I'm going to write that scene. Okay, okay. And then I get started. I would think that's also a really good time to write because everything's quiet, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I mean, nothing's, nothing's happening. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it helps me. I've always been an early morning kind of thinker, you know, even before I was writing, I would get up, I would have my coffee, I'd maybe write in my journal or, you know, I, or read. Um, it's just the time I've always really liked early morning. I've always been a morning person. I've never been a night person. I don't know these authors that write late into the night until one or two in the morning. I don't know how they do it. Yeah. I don't know. I couldn't do it. Do you write directly on the computer or longhand? Always. I would do a lot of stuff longhand, especially if I'm having a hard time. Hmm. I will purposefully not be on the computer if I'm struggling with something. And what sort of things will you do? I mean, will you give yourself a writing prompt? Will you, I mean, what will you do to get yourself out of a spot where, you know, you're hitting a wall, you don't know what comes next or where you're going to go with this, this scene? I will write about the problem. I will sort of free kind of free write, you know, mm-hmm. um, like stream of consciousness writing, you know, so I'll be, I'll write about, you know, I'm having a hard time with this scene. I don't know where it's supposed to go. It's almost like having a conversation with myself, um, like having a writing partner on the page. Mm-hmm. And that sort of helps me kind of sort out what the problem is. And then at that point, you know, and I can try out ideas and if dialogue appears, I'll just scribble it down. And then, then when I feel like I'm ready to jump over to the computer, it's pretty easy to jump over and just start typing. Hmm. Do you have a goal? Do you have like a word count goal when you, when you write, or is it really like, I'm going to be at the computer from three forty-five to six or whatever that time, time frame is. And whatever I get, I get. I, when I'm drafting, I do, I try to get 1200 words a day when I'm drafting, but other than that, then it's, then it's, I'm working from this time to this time and however much I get done, I get done. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I'm curious about what the most difficult part of writing novels is for you. Is there a difficult part? Hmm. Um, I don't love drafting, to be honest with you. I much prefer revision. I much prefer having a product to sort of wrestle into shape. Mm -hmm. Um, I've talked to other authors who are the opposite. They love drafting. That's their favorite thing is to just create, put it on the page and it doesn't need to be good. And I'm fine with it not being good, but 
but I really like, I really like when, when your plot is set and, and you're really just polishing, polishing, polishing. That's the part that I like the best. Um, so for me, I guess drafting is hard, you know, getting those words down every day is hard. Do you have different with each revision? I don't know how many revisions you do, but do you have different things you're focusing on? Like with the first revision, maybe be, you know, plot or character. Uh, first revision um, is always plot for me. It has to be, you know, I have to make sure everything's moving forward. I have to make sure the twists are what they're supposed to be. I have to make sure you know, that, you know, everything is moving toward my end point. And then, and then throughout that, a lot of times there will also be revision to character, but not in depth until after plot is settled. I have to settle plot first. Mm. How many revisions will you put your, your work through? A lot. I don't know. I never counted because a lot of times it's sort of a simultaneous, like, so, you know, I'm focusing on two or three things at once. And so I would, you would count that as like three revisions, right? That I'm hammering it out. So a lot of times I might take a chunk of 25 pages and revise it three times in a row, read it, revise it three times in a row before moving on to the next chunk of 25 pages. Mm -hmm. um, and so what that counts like three, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I would say probably over, over 20 for sure. Over 20. Easily over yeah. 20, probably more. Sure. Yeah. But what about like the, the first page, first chapter? Because, you know, this first chapter of The Lies I Tell is so tight. I'm curious if that was always the first chapter and how, how often you went over it. Like, is that something you'll look at every day that you're writing? No, I don't look at it every day, but I do make sure the beginning is tight, 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 because I know like that's where, that's where a reader is sort of committing to the relationship, right? In any relationship, you're on your best behavior, you wear your nicest clothes, you have your most polished stories. Um, and the beginning of a book is the same, you know, you're trying to woo this person into living in your world for a little while. And you know, I try to make the entire book tight, 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 but the beginning really needs to be because they're making a decision. How much time do they want to spend with you? Right. What about sharing your work? Do you have readers before it goes to your editor? And Definitely. Yeah, <laughs> I do. Yeah. I have several good writing friends that, you know, we trade back and forth and, and kind of work on each other's books when we can. And, you know, um, the writing community is generous, I would say, you know, we, we like to help each other out when we can. So, um, but yeah, I definitely have my trusted readers that I send before I send to my agent, before I send to my editor. Um, definitely. Because I think like, you know, my, my editor is busy. My agent is busy. Like if there are things and fixes that I can make on my own before they spend their valuable time mm -hmm. editing it, if there's anything that I can do on my own, I'm going to want to do it first and not waste their time on something that I would have gotten to anyway, you know? So when you get feedback back from your readers, mm -hmm. how do you decide what to um, change, what to work on? I mean, is it, are you looking for consensus? Are you looking for how you feel about what they said and whether, you know, it resonates with you? I mean, how do you deal with feedback? Yeah, you know, I, it has to resonate with me. And as a reader for people, I always... I don't take offense when they don't take my notes because a lot of times, 
you know, the book that lives inside an author's head is the book that they're trying to get it to be. And a reader, especially if you're reading an early draft, can't always see what that vision is. We only see what's on the page. So a lot of times I will, you know, I will think, no, that's not really where I want to go with that. That's not really what I want to do. Um, and then you just disregard it, you know, but most of the time, I'd say nine times out of 10, you know, my readers are right about stuff. So I tend to listen to them more Mm -hmm. often. Yeah. You know, something I was thinking about as I was reading the lies I tell is that it's a great primer for how to use social media to con people. Yeah. It's like, oh, I I can see that. I have seen that happening. So I I imagine that was not intentional. It kind of was. Um, (laughs) I do feel like people are very loosey-goosey about the things that they share on social media. Um, And it goes all the way back to way back when, I don't know if it still happens. I have it turned off on my phone, but it used to be that anytime you took a photograph with your cell phone, it would like geotag your location. Mm -hmm. So like if I'm taking photographs of, like my, the new mugs that I got in the mail and they're sitting on my kitchen counter and I'm posting it on social media, like it's geotagging my house, you know? And so that always freaked me out. Like I was like, I want that. Um, and so one of the things that, that drives me crazy on social media is all the things that people are so happy to share. Now, if you have a pretty locked down list, you know, that it consists of like your 20 cousins in Illinois and your, you know, aunt in Florida, then maybe that's okay. But, um, but that's not generally what people have in their friends list. You know, you have lots and lots of people. So um, yeah, I think it is a cautionary tale. Like think about what you're putting out there, make sure, you know, those quizzes and stuff that people are taking just for fun, like that, that's just fodder for, for fraudsters to, you know, crack your passwords and, you know, get in somehow, like you just really want to lock all that down. Well, so speaking of social media, because you have a presence, I mean, you have an Instagram page, you're on Twitter, Facebook. Um, Do you think it sells books? I mean, do you think that, you know, posting now and then is going to bring more readers to you or, I mean, this is something I'm writing about for the Authors Guild Bulletin right now, whether it's video or I don't have any data, I, you know, that says it does or it doesn't. Um, I've seen books that completely blow up on social media and everybody's talking about it. So I've seen it happen. Um, and, and I've seen the opposite too. I've seen books that everybody, it seems like everybody's talking about this book and then like, it just kind of tanks, you know, in the market. So, so I don't, I don't have the answer to that. I, I don't. Social media is not my superpower. There are authors out there who are just really savvy and really present and engaging. And and with all the the plates that I have spinning, like social media is not something that I spend a ton of time thinking about. I'm sure my publicist would like me to spend a little more time thinking about it. Um, But I do think that I do think that it helps build relationships and relationships help sell books. So I do think that it it does it does open your world a little bit. Like, I mean, you know, I have 3000 something followers on Instagram and, and I'd say maybe a hundred of them are people that I went to high school with 
or grew up with and the rest of them are readers. So, you know, yeah. So you're on a book tour soon. Yeah. Where are you going? A lot of places. This is kind of a big trip. I'm going to, let's see if I can recite them all. I will be in New Jersey, New York, Delaware, Arizona, Washington, Texas, lots of places in California. Um, I think that's it. Are you going to be down in Orange County? Yeah, I'll be in San Diego. Um, I was going to be, I thought I was going to go to Huntington Beach, but I don't think I'm going there. Um, But I'll be in San Diego. So do you like that part of it? Um, I've never had a book tour before like this. I've gone like one place and then home or like another place and then home, but I've never been on a like full on full blown tour. So I don't know. Ask me, ask me (laughs) this is going on. How do you like it? I think I will. I mean, like I'm, I'm a big introvert and I'm a big homebody. So I think that that will be like interesting for me to experience but I do love meeting readers. I do love signing books. I do love doing those things. So, you know, I think it'll just be busy and fun and exhausting. And then I'll be home and I'll be able to crash. Mm. I'm curious how you found your way to writing. I mean, we talked about how you landed in the domestic um, thriller genre, but did, did you get an MFA? Did you go that route? Nope. No, I have a BFA in graphic design and I teach. So I don't do, I don't do any of, I don't do any of the things that, you know, I thought, I thought that I would do. Um, but I, I've always wanted to write. I've always been a writer at heart and definitely a reader. Um, and so I kind of knew that at some point I wanted to try writing a novel and I wanted it to be traditionally published. I wanted an agent and I wanted it to be at a traditional publisher and I wanted that kind of experience. And I think when I was about 44 or so, I sat down and really started doing it for real in earnest and published my first book when I was 47, I think maybe 48. I can't remember. What had something happened during that time in your life where you just said, you know, it's time for this. I have to do this. You know, my very best friend died in 2012 um, from breast cancer. And I think it was a kick in the pants that I needed to sort of realize, like, you know, if there are things that you want to do in your life, you better get to them, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We are drawing down on our time. And I wonder if there's any advice you've been given along the way that stayed with you. Yeah, there was a book on craft and I wish I could credit the author of it, but I don't have it in, at my fingertips right now, but that she gave the best advice for how to become published. And, and basically she said, there are, there are two things you need to do in order to be published. Number one is think of yourself as a worker. And number two, show up at the job. Mm. That's it. That's good advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Julie, thank you. Thank, thank you. So you. Much. I appreciate it. That was Julie Clark, author of The Lies I Tell. You can learn more about the show at penonfire.com. And if you are so moved, please visit our Patreon page. And if you like the intro music and the outro music, that employs a typewriter by Travis Barrett, you can hear more at Just My Type on Spotify. There's an album's worth of typewriter music there. 
that will help put you in the flow to write. Again, I'm Barbara DeMarco Barrett. You've been listening to Writers on Writing. Thank you for listening. 